0: to a special edition of Hail to the Pod. I'm your host, Kevin Rich. As always, you can tweet me at krich23. You can email the show at pod at gmail.com. And be sure to download and subscribe to the podcast anywhere your favorite podcasts are found, including Google Play, Apple iTunes, and Spotify. If you download and subscribe to the podcast anytime there's a new episode, it will get downloaded automatically to your device. I mentioned a special episode This, of course, is the last weekend where Heisman Trophy voters can vote who will be the Heisman. Of course, Heisman, the most coveted trophy in all of college football. And I've always been enamored with how the Heisman is voted on and who becomes a voting member for the Heisman Trophy. And I'm so excited to be joined today by Tom Gozlowski, also known as Gaz. Gaz is the co-host of Levek and Gaz on ESPN Radio's affiliate in Albany, New York. And he is, in fact, a Heisman voter. Gaz, thank you so much for joining the show today. How are you?
1: Thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate you having me.
0: So I mentioned I'm fascinated by this. So I was really excited to, to bring you in here and, and talk about this because um, really, the Heisman is such a wonderful event and it's something that a lot of people you know you watch it on TV and you see you know what the total votes were and all that, but you don't really understand the whole process. So my first question to you is how did you even get involved as a Heisman trophy voter to begin with?
1: All right, so this will be my fifth year voting for the Heisman. So it goes back more now than five years ago. I started in Syracuse New York at this place called the score 1260. And I worked with somebody who I think you may have worked with too, a guy named Bud Poliquid, who Yeah. who yep. Bud voted for 20 plus years. He was one of the longest tenured New York voters. And I said, I asked him, I'm like, Bud, how did you have this happen? Mm-hmm. He's like, Oh, I was actually going to be like the East Coast commissioner one time of the Heisman Trophy. <laughs> he was like, I said no to it. I go, What do you mean you said no? He's like, If you reach out to the right people, you'll pull this off. Okay. I like, okay, that's not really great advice, Bud, but I'll go on my way. <laughs> so I found a contact. Of somebody who was like the people who decided. So I just kept reaching out. And it was every three months. They're like, hey, we just got to make sure you're covering college football in Albany. Just send us some of your stuff. Yeah, so which I just, obviously you do. Yeah, yeah. so online at 104.5, theteam.com, and all those places I just send them my stuff, send them my stuff. And then I wouldn't hear back for three months. And then I wouldn't hear back for another three months. But I just kept staying on top of it. this like a full year-long process of reaching out to the people I needed to reach out to. And eventually got down to the point where I get a call from them and say, hey, how this works is that the votes themselves are regionally based. Okay. So for instance, each state gets an X amount of voters. So here in New York, because we have so many fans that are downstate, they have to find a way to balance out that they you don't know, have 30 voters in New York City and zero in Buffalo, Rochester, Albany. So the state itself gets chopped into regions. So they called me and they said, we have two upstate New York votes that are eligible. You're on the list. I said, that's awesome.
0: (laughs) It's like you're trying to get a kidney transplant. Right.
1: (laughs) So now the person who is the Heisman coordinator is a guy named Jason Murray. Jason Murray works for Syracuse.com. Jason Murray, in a twist of fate here, is Bud Poliquin's boss. (laughs) So Bud knew Jason. I knew Jason. He put me on the list. And then I never heard back for another two weeks. Okay. And then all of a sudden, my email, it pops up. Congratulations, you're a Heisman Trophy voter. Here is your ballot. So sure enough, it was about a year-long process. It was my fifth year of doing it. And that little Syracuse connection at the end might have been the thing that put me over the top to represent Albany in the voting.
0: Yeah, that's so awesome. Uh, So... Obviously, we can't you know, talk about who you're going to vote for. We can talk about certain players and, and the process and all that, which is great. That's really what I wanted to talk to you about because I find it fascinating. But you've done this for five years now. This will be your fifth year of voting. Let's go back a little bit. So in the previous four years – um, I mean, there's been some tight battles in terms of who won the Heisman. Uh, certainly, we've had a couple of Oklahoma guys uh, win the last few years. But you know, talk about you know what went into you know selecting the the folks that you did and 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 determining um, you know how that all came about in these last couple of years. You've done it.
1: Oh, it's amazing. I just want to clarify something real quick because you already mentioned I can't really talk about who I vote for. That process might have to be changed in the future too because what happens is they tell you, hey. We want to keep this all a secret for Saturday. Right. What happened, there was a site called StiffArm.com, okay. and StiffArmTrophy.com would actually ask the Heisman voters, hey, who'd you vote for? And people <laughs> would just tell them. And Stiffarm Trophy got it right 11 years in a row. Wow. So it was almost like the Hall of Fame guy uh, who does it online now that basically kept figuring it out, and they put a shutdown on it. That. So that's why I can't technically talk about that. But the votes of the previous years, I post everything online. My first person I voted for was Christian McCaffrey, no, he didn't win the award. He lost that award to Derrick Henry. Mm-hmm. And I looked at Chris McCaffrey in that season. He set a new FBS record for most single yardage for punt returns, kick returns, receiving, rushing. I'm like, he got Stanford to the Rose Bowl. He had all these stats. My evaluation process is always the same. I vote for who I believe is the flat-out best college football player in the United States of America. People don't even realize that. It doesn't have to be an FCS player.
0: Yeah,
1: It could be, F- excuse me, FBS. It could be an FCS player. It could be Division II. It could be Division three. It could be junior college. So I voted McCaffrey over Henry that year. The following season, I guess if you call it, I got it right, which is never the way I think of it, <laughs> I got Lamar Jackson. That's who I voted for. I saw Lamar Jackson play in person that season, jumping over my beloved Syracuse Orange into the end zone and everything else. Hey, big
0: win against Wake. Last that's time, right. Yeah.
1: They did do that. Uh, I voted for Baker Mayfield the following season, but in some of these years I had other guys in the ballot who may have not finished in the top four or five. One year I had Dalvin Cook from Florida State as a third-place vote. He finished eighth, but I watched his stats. Dalvin Cook against all the best teams in the ACC, I thought he should be considered one of the best players. One of my favorite votes of all time was the year when Bryce Love was up for the award. I voted Bryce Love third, and I voted a guy named Saquon Barkley second. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be the one in history that said, remember when people thought Bryce Love was better than Saquon Barkley. (laughs) I knew Barkley was better. And then last season was my toughest vote I ever had. It was between Tua from Alabama, Kyler Murray from Oklahoma, Dwayne Haskins from Ohio State. I went Tua over Kyler Murray, because when you compare those biggest games of the season, Tua was better than Murray. And at the end, remember... They lost Tua, but Hertz came off the bench and beat Georgia. But in a strange twist, did his Heisman candidacy actually take a hit because they won without him? So mm-hmm. he almost became less valuable. But if they had lost the game when Tua got hurt, he may have won the Heisman Trophy because people right. would have viewed it differently. So right. those are the people i voted for in the past. Jackson, Mayfield, Tua, and
0: McCaffrey. So conference championship games are this weekend. Um, the ballot's due Sunday, Correct. right? Correct. What impact do you feel the conference championship games, because there are probably guys that are going to be voted on that are playing in conference championship games, and maybe some that would be considered that aren't. So what impact has the conference championship games played in that? Because as I look at it from an outsider perspective, obviously someone that covers the sport, I look at it and say there would be an advantage to those guys that are in the conference championship games to likely get a nod higher than maybe someone that isn't.
1: Yes, I think there's definitely an advantage to those guys. I have in the past compared it to – a boxer in the final 10 seconds of a round, if you look good for the final 10 seconds and there's a judge, they say, oh, wow, he looked great. You think the final 10 seconds was the full two minutes of a round. And that's Mm -hmm. what happens for these Heisman voters sometimes is that they will see somebody in the final action before their ballot. They'll cast, it's almost like elections, right? You can't put signs right next to the election spot because that'll be the last (laughs) name you remember when you walk in. Uh, For me, in the history of my vote, I think I've only adjusted my voting for a player once, and that was Dwayne Haskins last year. There was Will Greer and Gardner Minshew didn't look great in those final two weeks, and Haskins' performances in the Big Ten title game against Michigan was able for me to put him over the top. What will happen is you will have a player like Ndamukong Sue when he was great in that Big 12 title game. Uh, There's certain players for certain teams that are playing that might have a really close candidacy, and for those voters who might be between one, two, three, four guys, they say, well, when he played against the best competition, he stood out. That's what it that really is about, is that, and that's how I look at it. Say, it'd be easy to run up the score against Rutgers every week. It'd be easy to run up the score against bad teams. Mm. But how did the best player in the country, or the best players in the country, play against the best competition? I always value that higher, and I think that's why conference championship games are viewed that way because it's the best. How did you perform against the best? Can you be considered the best? When you go up against the best, I feel like yeah. I'm Ric Flair now. To beat the man, you <laughs> gotta beat the man, right?
0: <laughs> well, especially if certainly having that other data point. But it, it sounds to me like what you're saying is, is that date, that extra data point can hurt you as well. Because if you don't play as well in that conference championship game against the best competition, that could sway your vote. Um, versus, you know, had you voted before the conference championship. And right? the same
1: thing with your team, right? So if you yeah. if you get hurt in the game and your team succeeds without you, they'll say, "Oh, he's not that important. They want without him," which is a weird way to look at it. Mm. You know, it almost turns in the most valuable versus most outstanding argument that you still want to play really well, but you don't want your team to do too well when you're going for the individual award which is a strange way to look at it but it's true
0: yeah now I know you can't you know talk about who you're planning on voting for and all that but you know there's a couple guys that really stand out to me this year I think uh, and I'd like to kind of get your thoughts on them not certainly who you're voting for I don't want to get you in trouble because <laughs> um, I want you to continue to be able to vote on the Heisman but I mean the one guy to me that has certainly stood out and based on their performance has been Joe Burrow for LSU what have you seen out of him and obviously they've got a huge uh, game this weekend uh, in the SEC championship game Although, a lot of people thinking that might be a game that even if they were to lose in a close one, they probably would still get in the playoff um, as they play Georgia. But what have you seen about Joe Burrow that, like, here's a guy that that transfers from Ohio State, he's got a new offensive coordinator at LSU, and he has been lights out for this team this year.
1: He has been really, really good. It's amazing about Burrow because he almost the expectations were low. Because a lot of college football fans, as you said, never had seen him play because he just sat the bench. He just wanted to get an opportunity. He wanted to get a chance. The thing about Burrow is if you compare his season to past All-Americans, past quarterbacks, he fits the bill of best team in the country, playing really good football, toughest conference, all those things you want. I think his completion percentage is on pace to be the best In the history of the FBS, he's looking at potentially an 80% completion rating (laughs) going against SEC West competition. It shows that the quarterback position, like we saw the past two seasons with Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, if you do transfer, you can find the right spot and have a really good season. Coach Owen, the Tigers, Burrow has been a huge part of their success, and I believe they should. Sorry, Ohio State fans. I believe LSU should still be the number one team in the country.
0: Yeah, I don't think you're going to uh, have a lot of Ohio State <laughs> no. fans that uh, listen to the podcast. That's right. Although we do we get a lot of Big Ten fans that listen to the to the podcast, but uh, based on the fact that there was no one in uh, Columbus uh, beat reporters that wanted to hop on the podcast uh, last week, they don't like uh, us Michigan folks. Take that Ohio state too though. much but um, let's let's uh, shift focus to Ohio state i think something that might be um, hurting them is that they have a couple of guys that are all kind of like Eating each other, right for for the Heisman. I was very impressed being in Ann Arbor on Saturday with the performance of J.K. Dobbins, the running back. Yeah, uh, I you know I thought Justin Fields was effective, and he you know he put up some points and scored uh, some touchdowns you know through the air there. Uh, J.K. Dobbins ran all over Michigan, and it was interesting because Chase Young, who's somebody that, that a lot of people have talked about, is you know could he be the next defender um, to win the Heisman uh, since a Michigan guy did it in Charles Woodson. Uh, Michigan completely shut down uh, Chase Young in that game. Of course, he gets another day to point on Saturday. But as you look at kind of those three guys on Ohio State and there's other guys on that team that have been affected, but they have been the three main catalysts of the success Ohio State's had this year. Which one do you think may be most deserving to be looked at or, or probably one of the guys that maybe stands out more than the others? I
1: love this question because it is so exciting and so interesting to answer because we brought up Joe Burrow. So Joe Burrow was at Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Fields was now at Ohio State. So you could have this argument of, wait a second, if it's not for Burrow transferring, is he actually his backup? And if that's the case, is he better than Burrow because he played that whole argument of who is better? Well, he played over him. So yeah. you know the transfer happens. J.K. Dobbins is a guy that you thought, okay, he's a very good running back, but is he good because of the offense, the coaching, the new system? Is it is it Fields helping him being a threat? Dobbins is really good, but he doesn't get the attention as the quarterback fields does. And his counterpart on defense, Chase Young. I call Chase Young the ultimate 2020 athlete, even though it's 2019, because he looks cool. He looks like the guy you would create on a video game. Mm -hmm. Dreadlocks, single digit as defensive end, beating everybody up, celebrating looking jacked like a monster. So he's almost like the viral sensation, the big noon kickoff guy. The problem with Chase Young is that he missed some games. So almost like a student in school, you have to go through the whole semester. Mm -hmm. Okay, what did you do throughout the entire semester? Did you miss two weeks of class? And if so, are you a B-plus student rather than an A-minus student? How did you perform in the best games of the season for both Fields and Dobbins? Like you said, Dobbins' best game of the season could be argued that it was against Michigan. Mm -hmm. So what happens if Dobbins plays really well against Wisconsin? Is that now making him better than Fields, or will the name alone stand above? That's what's going to be really fun about these next, especially coming up against Wisconsin, is who does what in the Big Ten title game and how much right. will that affect. Like in the past, D.D. Uh, Westbrook and Baker Mayfield are both Heisman finalists. Matt Leinart, Reggie Bush, mm-hmm. uh, Ken Dorsey, and Willis McGanghey. We've seen a lot of these guys for similar teams, same team, be nominated. But like I think you were hitting at this a little bit. How much will that hurt their candidacy because they'll start shopping up the votes? I only get to vote for three people. Mm-hmm. So there may be a chance a lot of voters say, I'll pick one Ohio State guy. Not three, not two, one. Mm-hmm. And how will that hurt their candidacy is going to be very interesting.
0: Now you talked a little bit about like some of the things that you judge while you're watching the game. So going to that Big Ten Championship game... J.K. Dobbins, who we talked about, he's going up against a really great running back on the other side, and Jonathan Taylor, who as a junior, has now basically set every record you can think of at Wisconsin, which is insane when you think about the players that have come through there, Uh, like Ron Dane in particular, was one of my favorite running backs, not Michigan player, uh, growing up and watching, but how does maybe a performance where Jonathan Taylor maybe p- plays better or puts up a better rushing stat, but maybe they lose that game and J.K. Dobbins doesn't play as well, but Ohio State wins big? Like, Are you are you the type of person that you're going to compare when you get a, a data point where you get to see maybe um, two teams playing against each other that has Heisman candidates? If one plays better than the other, how much of it influences maybe that in terms of what you're looking at?
1: Yeah, so Jonathan Taylor's candidacy I can speak to a little bit because I, before the season can kick off, because my make of 2018, every year I make my vote public, I'll write some players that I considered. So going into the season, the only time I can talk about the Heisman of who I vote for is preseason. So I said, Tua going into the season was one, because that's who I voted for, Mm -hmm. and Jonathan Taylor was two. So on my list, on my phone, and trust me, in September, the list gets to like 40 names and slowly but surely (laughs) we chop away at them. Taylor is a top two guy. But Taylor never consistently had performances that kept him in the mix, and And similar to what we brought up earlier, in the biggest games of the season, Jonathan Taylor was shut down. Defenses held him in check for a little bit, especially the good teams. Now, his candidacy could be like Saquon Barkley's, where when Wisconsin didn't play well, Jonathan Taylor didn't play well. Mm -hmm. Well, that makes him seem to be more valuable. If Jonathan Taylor plays well against Ohio State and they win, okay, where does he stand? I think the tough part about this when we talk about Taylor is how do we match up stats Versus that top tier competition. And that's going to be the thing that's going to happen for the next 10 years when it comes to this award. Interesting guys like Colt Brennan from Hawaii, Mm -hmm. uh, Timmy Chang from Hawaii, Kay Skeenham from Houston, Kellen Moore from Boise State. Those are more non power five guys, but they could put up so many good stats. They'd say, okay, like you got to put him in there because his stats are so good. Well, what if he ran up the score against bad competition? What if Jordan Lynch from Northern Illinois, if people may remember him, people would look at that and say, okay, what do we do with that? Because if he's not playing well, like Donnell Pumphrey from San Diego State got 50 yards last year against like a random team from the Mountain West. I'm like, oh, the best player in the country can't run for over 100 yards against a Mountain West team? You can't <laughs> right, do that. Right. That's what happens is that if he's not good against everybody or not consistently the best, it makes the candidacy tough. So long, long answer short, if he hasn't been good for all 12 weeks, I can't potentially move him in
0: because of one good performance. Yeah. Um, One other guy I want to talk about as well uh, was Jalen Hurts out at Oklahoma. And again, something that you look at as a Heisman voter, how how often do you look at maybe as we know we've seen two guys come out of Oklahoma the last two two years and win the Heisman? How much of what he's done this year do you compare to what the guys did and what their stats were in the years prior, or is that a separate? You you look at that separately and say what has he specifically done this year in the role?
1: Yeah, so I I'm one of the ones who locks it in for 2019. I said whatever happens this year is how I have to evaluate that player because there are players in the past. I go back to history again. Johnny Manziel and Tim Tebow are great examples of this. Johnny Manziel and Tim Tebow won the Heisman Trophy then came back the following season. And people could look and say, statistically, their numbers actually may have been better the next mm-hmm. season. But to the point of how did they play against the biggest games of the season, the best opponents of the season, their performances weren't as good that following year, even though their stats may have been better. For a guy like Jalen Hurts and what he does in 2019 has been really good. But some voters will call this the reward trophy. Like Deshaun Watson is a great example of this. Deshaun Watson was one of the top interception guys in the country his final season at Clemson. But a lot of voters looked at Deshaun Watson and said, look what he's done for the program. Look how he's changed Clemson. For a long time it was pulling a Clemson. Well, we'll give Watson the vote because we feel like he might be a really good player. I don't vote like that. I look at 2019 because that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to vote on the best college football player in the country in that given year. So what Hurts has done in Alabama, what he's done for his career, I can't factor that in. I just have to base it on what's happened this season.
0: So, we're talking with Tom Gaz Uh Gaz, of course, the host of Leveque and Gaz, 1045 The Team, ESPN Radio in Albany. You can check him out, 1045theteam.com. So, offline, you were talking about uh, your dad goes down to the ceremony with you uh, each year. I know it's a great uh, father son bonding moment. Talk about what that's like heading down there with your dad and that experience.
1: Yeah, it's really one of the coolest things because we stay not just in the city, we stay at the Marriott Marquis, which is where the presentation takes place, where everything happens. So we'll be going to our room, and we'll see a Heisman Trophy winner walking so around. Bad. We'll see Steve Spurrier. We'll see Paul Horney, and Desmond Howard because they're in the same spot that we are. So one of the things I always pull off is that as bad as, as, bad as I want to get a picture with them, I'll have my dad hop in the picture with everybody. <laughs> like Deshaun Watson, I think it was three years ago, stayed two rooms down from us. Mm-hmm. And when he left his room, he goes, hey, I'm going to go hang out in Jabril's room. And we're thinking – Oh, Jabril Peppers, like they're buddies, they're college guys who just like want to hang out because they are hanging out in New York City. So that and then seeing these old school football players that I don't know that he knows, you know, random Heisman Trophy winners just walking around and hanging out the bar. Tony Dorsett's there every year. Like we know where Tony Dorsett is going to sit every year. He's in the same spot. It is like walking around, I, I, like the Hall of Fame in baseball, with everybody there. It's so a cool. really cool experience. Yeah.
0: So obviously, you uh, you're a sports host. You cover games. You go to games. You're involved with much more than just college football. How do you rank going to – because you just mentioned like uh, the Baseball Hall of Fame. Like how do you rank this event compared to the other events you've covered? I mean you go to Super Bowls and all that. Like talk to me like how this ranks compared to all the other things you do. Maybe I'm biased
1: because this is what I've wanted to do. Like this was (laughs) – I know everybody in their professional careers, whatever they do, they set goals for themselves. Like, okay, this is what I want to have happen. And maybe it is go to the Super Bowl. Maybe it's cover a World Series. But because I had the opportunity to play college football, because I am born and raised in a college town, I always thought, you know what, if I ever get to do something really cool in this business, I want to vote for the Heisman Trophy. And I got to do it when I was 24. That's awesome. And it was like, oh my God. Like the fact, so for me, like this is my weekend. Everyone does something, whether like Hall of Fame, whether it's covering races, whatever it big ten, Big Ten football games. I think for me, this is my favorite for the thing you brought up there about hanging out with my dad, watching college football, getting to see the best players, voting on the best players. For me, I think if I had to say I have to skip work or have to cover one event only a year, I think this would be it. This is March Madness. I've covered March Madness oh, yeah. before. Yeah. The only difference in March Madness in this is that, and March Madness is probably second, but March Madness is 14 hours. Remember, it's <laughs> noon site, two games. You're doing your prep, you're doing interviews. You're coming back at 9.00. It is a long day, as much as I love it. Sometimes March Madness is just as fun when you get to see all the venues and all the games going at once. This is one moment, one weekend. The best players, the legendary players are all in one spot for one night, and it's so cool to be a part of it.
0: That's great. Well, one, one more question, and then I'll, I'll let you go. But uh, you and your host, Levesque, you guys obviously talk a lot of college football on the air. Uh, we've got the conference championship games this weekend. Just want to get a feel from you. Uh, obviously, we'll see how things shake out this Saturday, but who are you expecting to be the four in the playoff at this point?
1: At this point, I would say this would be the four. I would say LSU would be at one. They'll defeat Georgia. I think the offense is just too good for LSU this season. I would put Ohio State at two. I don't even know if those two games will even be close. Uh, and I'll toss Clemson in there as well. All three of them. I'd hope Georgia keeps it close. But LSU, Ohio State, and Clemson could all win big, and I'd have them in the top three. So it comes down of that fourth spot between Georgia, Oklahoma, and Utah. As of now, my pick would be Oklahoma to get that fourth spot because okay. Georgia would get knocked off, and it'd be between Utah and Oklahoma. Now Baylor had a 25 point lead against Oklahoma, and the Sooners need the biggest comeback in school history to beat them
0: without While, their best uh, our best wide receiver. That's right, that yeah, too, and they yeah. pulled
1: that whole thing off. While Utah's got to beat Oregon, and Oregon may have Herbert at quarterback, it will maybe just flat out talent wise be able to catch up on to Utah. I feel more confident that Oklahoma, at a second chance with Lincoln Riley, can defeat the Bears, and with that win over Baylor, who's just a one-loss team, I believe the committee at that point will say they've beaten better competition than Utah has, and they would give the Sooners the edge over the Utes at the end.
0: You feel this is setting up for an LSU Ohio State championship, or does Clemson uh, and Dabo pull their magic as usual? Clemson's competition has been so bad this yeah, year. The I read a stat the other day.
1: Clemson has not played a ranked team. Like, not beaten a ranked team. They have even played a ranked <laughs> team the entire season. Now, Florida State years ago with Jameis Winston could have been in a similar spot. They were beating teams by 40 apiece. But Ohio State has been more impressive, and LSU has been more impressive. And if I can get Ohio State versus Clemson, and then LSU versus Oklahoma, and then LSU-Ohio State, yeah, that's what we're looking forward to. And for college football fans... Strap in. That would be awesome to see those matchups come December and January. Especially
0: Joe Burrow facing his uh, former team yes. at Ohio State. That could be exciting. And and LSU-Ohio State just screams like a 64-61 to 61 game <laughs> final. Uh, when you think about it. So... <laughs> Gaz, appreciate the time today. Very exciting and fun conversation. Appreciate all you do. And if you want to check out all the great work that Gaz does, you can check him out on 1045 the Team, which is 1045theteam.com, ESPN radio affiliate in Albany, New York. You can catch him on Twitter as well at Tom Gaz, T O M G O Z Z. Well, that will do it for this week's edition of Hail to the Pod. Enjoy the conference championship games this weekend. We'll, of course, get back to Michigan football once the bowl committees have decided who is going where, and we will preview in great detail Michigan's next opponent once that is announced. In the meantime, thank you as always for tuning into the show, and don't forget, you can always tweet me at krich23 on Twitter. You can hit me up on email at helltothepod at gmail.com, and download and subscribe to the podcast anywhere your favorite podcasts are found, including Google Play, Apple iTunes, and Spotify. Enjoy the games this weekend, and as always, Go Blue we we'll